Are you looking for truth from God's word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Clarity Christian College, formerly known as Florida Bible College. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Every moment of our day, we need to be very cognizant of things that are happening as we're a part of God's mechanism of kingdom building in some way. That doesn't mean that you have to be quoting Bible verses all day and you run into a tree with your car. It does mean, though, that you realize that what's happening is so very important. But then it says this. It says, these guys came up, but they didn't ask him the question. They just thought, I think one of the greatest dangers in coming to know Christ is not asking a question when you have one. And what I would like to say is that had those guys asked a question, I believe in the context of Scripture that Jesus would have been just as compassionate and would have taken just as much time with them to explain why he was talking to the woman, what he was wanting to get out of this woman, and what was happening at that time. But those guys never heard it. So guess what? They had to hear this story later on. They didn't get a chance to see it up close and personal. Well, I hope if you right now have a question about... What does this all mean that this pastor's been ranting about for the last 30 minutes or 45, whatever? I want you to go to a person that you respect, someone that you sense that cares for you as a person, and if you will, sit down with them in undistracted time and without any defense up and just say, I want to hear what you have to say about this. What does this mean? Why did he say this? Who is this Jesus? How can he be God? Why is it by faith alone and Christ alone? Would you help me with this? Now, later on, once you have the truth, then you have to sort it out between you and God and the Holy Spirit. And that's it. The only other person is going to do is come alongside you. And like Jesus, take the time with the compassion and with the same message that Jesus spoke, which was going to heaven, was by faith alone. Well, that being said, let's go a little bit further now. So she now leaves and she goes into the city and there's a little dialogue that goes on and she now talks about Jesus a little bit and so these men went out of the city and were coming to him. We'll come back to that in a moment. Meanwhile, which means while this is all going on, so there's a lot of drama like a three-act play going on but at the same time. Meanwhile, the disciples are urging him saying, Rabbi, eat! You gotta eat! And so Jesus now begins to have a dialogue with his guys. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. <laughs> Look at the disciples. Wait a second, didn't we just go into the city? No one brought food. Did, you, did any of you guys, Philip, Nathaniel, Andrew, Peter, John, did any of you bring anything to eat to him, did you? And of course, if you read it in the Greek, it has the implication that no, we didn't do this. Nobody brought something. What's, what's this about food? And Jesus then said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Well, folks, if you want to know what God's will is for our life, and if you want to be Christ-like and God-like, or Christ-like and Godly, you could look at this verse and say, look up here, the will of God for our life, whether a butcher, baker, candlestick maker, is in some measure to make sure that we're getting the message of the gospel out. Jesus said, I did the will of the Father, which was to do what? Look at the passage. It says here, to do what? to do what he sent me to do and to accomplish his work. So labor in the harvest. Here's how I look at that. What was he sent to do? Scripture says Jesus came, he was sent by the Father to seek and to save that which is lost. So everything he did was to communicate the message of the gospel. Win him and train him, we might say. I'm going to really reduce it to win him and train him. But even if you win him and train him, that wasn't enough for Jesus. He had to finish the work. When it said he finished the work, he had to accomplish the work that Father had for him to do. That was to die on the cross 
and then rise again. So when he was on the cross, he said, it is finished. So all of this priest stuff was doing the will, and then the final will was when he died. So here's how I apply that to my life. What is the will of God for my life? Whether I'm a preacher, butcher, baker, candlestick maker, I am to do what I can to engage people at the appropriate time, as far as they would allow me to do it, within the confines of what I'm permitted to do, to give them the gospel. But I do not finish that until the end of my life. Until I finally die. David said that he wanted to do all that he could before he died, even as an elderly man. And then back in Scripture, it talked about that he wanted to reach his generation in his generation until he died. And I hope whatever you're deciding to do, that you guys will not give it up. That when you retire, you don't retire, you redirect. You're doing the Father's will until it's finally in. And those of you that are crossroads in your life, you're going to change from one career to the next career. You're going to change from one location to the next location. And God is doing that. Or God is giving you that ample privilege of making your own choice. That you would then humbly get alone with God and say, God, it's still about kingdom building. I want you to reframe me, review me, refocus me. How can I take that same message with time, compassion, and the clarity of the gospel of faith alone? How do you want me to do this? And I'm going to tell you, the Lord is going to smile. He's going to come alongside you. And you have a pure heart. He's going to direct you to do these things. And you'll be so fulfilled at the end of your life because you can look back and say, I did the Father's will. How special that is. Well, that's not all that he did. It goes a little bit further in the passage. So he said, I wanted to do that. And now he gigs them a little bit. He says, do not say there are yet four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look into the fields, that they're white for harvest. Oh, man, what a passage. I wish I could take you back in time, because I believe that this was probably December or January. Harvest was coming soon. We're seeing how the, the, the stalks of wheat, because this is a very farming, agricultural illustration here that he's using. If you look at it, there'll be green fields along the hills. Caroline, I've had the privilege of being in Israel in March, and so everything is lush and green after Christmas. We've been there in November when it's dry after the summer, so it's green all the way around. And so now these wonderful grains are coming up, and while they're coming up, at the very top of them, when the grain is ready to be harvested, some of you have seen this even in our beautiful uh, fields here in, in America, those little top grains are so light beige that they look white, starkly contrasted against a green background. So these guys would know what I mean. They're white in a harvest. They're ready to go. One commentator says it also could be a double meaning. I thought, huh? Double meaning was this. Do you remember we go back a few verses? They talked about how these men were coming out of Sychar to Jesus to find out what did this woman really have to say. They often wore white robes back then. And the white robes would be stark up against whatever dark background that would be coming from the city. And so these guys are coming in white. So in a sense, he's looking at these guys and says, you know, just like a farming thing, the harvest is ready to go, white in the harvest. Look at white's coming at you right now, and the harvest field is ready. Jesus already knew that they were ready to trust Christ. We read it later on, but we already know. He knew that, and these guys were coming to finally confirm it when they arrived to talk to Jesus. So he's saying, listen, guys, it's already there. Are you all tracking with me so far? Can I have a couple more moments? That's another word for minutes. All right. So. There's a, there, early in my ministry, like 25, 30 years ago, there was a big teaching that was going around called Spirit-Led Witnessing. And the idea was don't witness until you were led by the Spirit. So that taken uh, so far that people that were Christians, especially in this college I was a part of, there were some college students that were really into that deeper life, not to witness or share your faith until you're led to do that. And the ar argument was you don't want to pick fruit before it's ready. All right. So in other words, you want to wait for it to be ready, then pick the fruit. So they would wait for Spirit-led witnessing. 
Well, I was teaching evangelism, and when I was, that question came up in the class, and I said, said uh, Stan, or Professor, what, what do you think about that? I said, I believe that there is spirit-led witnessing is right and wrong. Spirit-led witnessing is, yes, the Lord is going to lead me how to open a conversation, maybe what to say, when to close, what verses to use, go with the flow, God is guiding me, He's the one doing the witnessing through me, so I want to partner with Him, etc. That's spirit-led witnessing. However, I'm still under the command to witness. So now it's not I'm going to wait around until God finally kind of kicks me in the side, in the yokoli, to get going again. No, because God already said to do that. And Jesus is saying that here. It's already white in the harpist. We don't wait for the fruit to get ready. It's already ripe. One writer said, it's not only white ready to harvest, it's already rotten because we need to reach more people and we're losing them now. I don't know if I'd take it that far, but I will take it this far, that it's always the right time to give the gospel the right way and the right amount to that person. So just think about that. So then he goes on a little bit further because he takes pressure off of them. And it takes pressure off of you and me in this because if I heard that and if I only heard that, I think, man, i got to just quit preaching right now and run out there and sit at a bar- bus stop and climb every bus and tell everybody on the bus. No, it doesn't say that. Look what it says here. It says, verse 36, Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life. That doesn't mean you get into heaven this way. It means you're going to have rewards in heaven. So that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. i got to stop for a moment. He who sows and he who reaps, reaps together. Here in America, usually the person who plants, as they did in the Bible days, the same person planted was the same guy who harvested. What he's now saying here is, there's going to be some that will plant and some will harvest. But they don't always have to be the same person. However, they both will be partaking of the same reward as long as one is doing one, one is doing the other for the glory of God, planting and harvesting for His glory. So it doesn't really matter. And that whole truth comes out later on as Paul, under the inspiration of the same Holy Spirit, then says it to us, that some will do the planting, some will do the harvesting, but God, God gives the increase, and it doesn't really matter. So some of you will have the privilege of standing before thousands or writing tracts or sharing the gospel. Others of you will be ditch digging somewhere on some mission field, but all of you are going to be part of it. In this church, there are some of those that do so much work in the kitchen and so much cleaning up around here. And yet, when I give the gospel, people think, oh, look, at pastor had four people get saved. One person got saved. It's not me. We're all in this thing together, brethren. And that's what's so exciting. So you're going to get the reward too, as long as you did it with love and faith and a pure heart. What well, goes on here to say, for in this case, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. That's true. Some will reap while others do more work. In this context, John the Baptist was before these guys, these disciples. Jesus was before all of them. Other things were happening, but now... These guys coming out of psyche, you're going to reap this thing. Others labored, and you now are going to enter into their labor because you now got to get busy. Verse 39, from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in Christ because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all things what I have done. That's what she said. And that piqued their interest. And so they decided to hear more about this. It sounded true, but they had to check it out. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, I thought this was interesting. She spoke to the men, but it didn't say the masculine Samaritans. It just said Samaritans. So some women started to get up into this, and they're now walking to Jesus. And they were asking him to stay with them. They're hearing this message. And so he stayed there two days. So he had one day, then another two days. So maybe he was there a total of three days. I don't know, two or three days. Verse 41, mark it. Many more believe because of his word. I love that. He stayed around, took the time. But he didn't just stay there only. He didn't plan in one place. He kept going. Verse 42. And they were saying to the woman, they turned back to this woman and said, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed 
and underline this, the Savior of the world. With that, I think through the rest of the passage, I'm believing that this woman became a believer in Christ. One, she heard the message of taking of the water freely. She asked all of her questions. At the end of him saying, I am Christ, she went out, she told them, and all of them coming back together again, they're now saying, we're believing that he's Jesus the Savior on your word, but now even more on the Lord's word. I've got to bring this to a close. I, I, I got to, but can I, I want to just give you a couple implications. Just listen to this. How much? Oh, I've got about three minutes. If you want to write these down, fine. If you want to get it on the CD later, that's okay. What did this passage teach Stan Pons? I only had time for a few. One, it taught me that Jesus launches cross-cultural evangelism. He went to the Jews first, Nicodemus, and then he also went to the so-called Gentiles, the mixed breed with the Samaritans. So he cross-cultured this thing. So I don't know what your cultural background is. You might feel more comfortable in your culture. That's great, but don't, don't restrict yourself to that culture. Go cross-culturally. Number two, Jesus models cross-gender evangelism. Most of the time you're going to find him engaging masculine men, all right? But a few times he will do women. And if you're going to see how do I talk to a woman about the gospel, follow this illustration. Not once did he get personal with her other than to reveal her sin. He did not try to stir up a, a relationship. They didn't talk story about general stuff. There was no flirtatious going on. He started with the need, stayed on the need, ended with the need, and a great revival broke up. And uh, I believe he kept his distance. And there's no, no inclination that he touched the woman in any uh, affectionate way. Number three, Jesus demonstrates personal evangelism versus event evangelism. This is huge to me. I think the, the church today is really generating so much energy and money towards doing great events that do reap some souls. I'm not going to ever put that down. We'll have events here. We continue to do them and hope we have more. But listen, listen, listen. If we put events over personal evangelism, we're going we're to lose it. What we really need to do is to do personal evangelism. In fact, I'm wondering sometimes if we didn't have as much of the other and we just did personal evangelism, we all might reach more people. The real problem is, watch this, my opinion, my opinion, is that sometimes we're so afraid to engage anybody about the gospel, but we will use events to do it so we have lost the edge. We have not gone to the Lord for courage. We have not gone to the Lord for creativity to one-on-one -on -one somebody. So we... We generate all of our enthusiasm towards this event, so we bring it out, so some great hotshot communicator might be able to give him the gospel and may give it clearly. And hopefully he does, and I'm off the hook because I'm part of the evangelism. So no matter what you are, butcher, baker, candlestick maker, somewhere in your life you can give the gospel. Whether you're sitting at the well, at the food court, at the Alamoana Mall, so to speak, and someone plops down next to you, God brought that person in your life. Now don't go out of here saying Stan doesn't want to do Night of the Lights or No Fright Kids Night. I do want to do that. But what I think we all would agree is for Christians, we all want to do more engaging lost people one-on-one -on -one by ourselves. Do you agree with that? Say amen. Okay, that's where I'm going with that. Number four. This is really huge. Jesus did not perform any signs and wonders. He just spoke the word. There is a movement that's picked up over the last 10 years now that talks a lot about that we've got to do more signs and wonders. And they talk about how Jesus did this and there was great results from it. And so they take you back to the mission field and they talk about all these signs and wonders. And so now what happens is we try to bring up our... our, our what's the word I want to say? I can't think of the right... I can't remember the English word. But basically bring about signs and wonders of God or not, whatever, and we rely on that to be able to catch the minds of the people to now think, oh, there's something supernatural about that guy or that message. I would like you to know when Jesus did this, he did no signs and wonders. All he did was sit down, engage this woman in a healthy, compassionate dialogue and exchange of information to the point where she trusted Christ, which means this. 
The greatest sign and wonder you'll ever have is going to be the clear, accurate presentation of the gospel from a clean, pure life in your own humble way. Now, that doesn't mean don't do the sign or don't look to that kind of stuff, but it does mean don't put that over this. Can God do that? Yes. Did he do it with Nicodemus? He did so many they couldn't write them all down. Okay, I realize that. But it's not us conjuring up all, that's the word I was looking for, all these signs and wonders. Don't put the emphasis on that. All we need is the clear, correct presentation of the gospel in a compassionate relationship. Number five, Jesus' disciples brought food to Jesus from the city. This woman brought people from the city. So I don't care how spiritually mature and how long you've been around Jesus, sometimes it just takes a poor woman over here that doesn't know much as a person of challenged background but she has a greater burden to engage her culture for the gospel to start talking about Jesus. They talked about bread. She talked about the bread of life. Now think about that for a moment, okay? It doesn't mean don't go for food and all that, but at the same time, keep the main thing the main thing. Because he said, you have, I have food that you don't even think about. And then six, worship is from the inside out, not the outside in. So you could be the one that jump and jive and all of that kind of stuff, but if you're not worshiping the Lord with a pure, clean heart properly, all that other stuff is just motion, on the other side over here, you can have a close, clean walk with the Lord and never jump up and down. And you can have a quiet, still honoring of God in your own still way, seated in your chair while everybody else is raising hands. And then lose it the moment you start criticizing those people who are raising their hands and clapping and judging them. So it's all from the inside with a pure heart. Who, what, when, where, why, and how. I'm almost done. Seven, salvation is by faith in Christ alone, not by doing good works. He didn't front load the gospel by telling her to get rid of the man you're with, then you can trust Christ. Afterwards, he didn't say get rid of the guy. Later on, we talk about living a clean life afterwards, but not to get saved, but because you are. And last, think about this. Evangelism starts with you, but it always ends with Jesus. What do I mean by that? It starts with me because, in a sense, I have to be alert to those that are around me. I have to be prepared to, to know how to open a conversation, know how to close it, how to go from a secular conversation to a spiritual conversation, turn into a salvation. I have to learn these things. It's me who talks. It's not Jesus' voice through me. I have to do all of this, but it's still all about Jesus, and it ends with Jesus and not about me. That person may come to Christ, may always thank you for the rest of their life that you led them to Christ, but you remember all you were was just one part of the bigger picture of people that were part of the harvest of that one person. It's still all about Jesus. Well, there's more, but we've had enough for today. I just love the Lord, and I love this, what I'm learning here. And the, the hardest thing for me now is to, is to be able to faithfully practice what I'm preaching, and I want to do that by God's grace. And you pray for me, and you know I'll pray for you. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed. The Lord loves you so much. I don't know what your background is, but you could be that woman at the well or that group of guys that are in your own little Sychar city coming out to Jesus. But I pray you'll come. Maybe something I said was like the woman who came back into your little town, into your little heart, and said something about Jesus that, that piqued your interest. And now you're going to go to Jesus I can only imagine what it was like for those men and women and boys and girls who stayed in the city, who didn't come to Jesus at the well. I don't know what happened to them. Jesus only had two days, and I hope that the new people got there and got to the old people and got them saved. I don't know about all that, but will you come to the Lord? Now, I'm not going to say come to the altar. I'm not going to say you've got to do anything, but would you come to Jesus? Do you know enough now to have eternal life? The answer is absolutely yes. If you know you're a sinner, 
by nature and choice, doesn't matter how bad, just you miss the mark somehow. You know that you'll be separated from him for all eternity. And God does not want that. He loves you. That you have to be perfect to get there. But you'll never be perfect. And that's why it's not by your works. And he says that it's not of your works. Do you believe that Jesus, living, he loved you? Dying, he saved you. Buried, he carried your sins far away. Rising, he justified you. Declared you righteous. If you believe in him, and that's where it's all at. The center is, will you drink of that water now? Will you now receive Christ as your personal Savior? How do you do that? Just simply transfer your trust from what you're trusting in yourself or something else and place it only in the great I am, Jesus Christ. Do it right now. You can't make a mistake. This woman at the well, she didn't know half of what these disciples knew. They'd already been with Jesus for a month or so, maybe longer. She was just with him for an hour or two. She knew enough. You know enough. Would you trust Christ as your Savior right now? Later on, we'll work on your questions. We all have them. I still get them. I have to go to the Lord and go to His Word and go to some study to get those answers. But it hasn't changed my belief. In fact, those questions and getting the answers only grounded my belief and showed me that what I really did do was right. Just like those guys. They believed the woman and they believed Christ. They were growing in their faith, which we'll talk about two weeks from now. I'm going to talk about all about faith healing in two weeks. But for right now, would you trust Christ? If you're doing that and you'd like for me to pray for you, I'd like to. So I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in the stillness and the privacy of this room. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. No friend or family member can see you right now. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. If today in here, you are now once and for all trusting Christ as your Savior for the forgiveness of all your sins so you too can have everlasting life. Now when you raise your hand, that doesn't save you. Me praying for you doesn't save you. You were already saved the moment you trusted Christ. Now you're just letting me know that. So this is kind of post-salvation. Not to get saved, not to stay saved. Just because I love you. And I, I like to pray for you. Wouldn't you want to have a pastor pray for you right now? I, th- I think so. Now, I'm not going to describe you in my prayer. I'm not going to have you stand up or be embarrassed. But I'd like to pray for you. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, is there anyone here that's finally ready to say, today is the day and I'm trusting Christ? So don't say a word if you're doing that and you're trusting Christ. Would you quietly put your hand up so I can see it? Is there anyone at all? Anyone at all? Put your hand up right now. Thank you. Thank you. Now, I don't mean you've done it before, but right now you're saying, Oh, Lord, I know that you died for me and rose again. I don't know anything else about this, but I know that you're my entrance into heaven. I'm trusting you to take me there in the authority of your word. All right, Christians, how many of you did God speak to you in some measure about evangelism? Something you picked up, something that kind of is taking you to another level of observation and implication from this wonderful event in Scripture so that you're growing. What are you gaining from this? And you're sensing some growth, some things you're going to think and do differently based on the word that was taught to you today. And you'd like for me to pray for you. Would you slip up your hand? Is there anyone at all? Amen, amen. Pray for me, remember? My hand is up too. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you right now. We want to thank you that you, the living evangelist, is inside of us. And that, Father, we don't have to model someone else necessarily, but we do have to know you and trust you and yield to you. And that you, Father, will work the evangelism through us and our personality, our style, so to speak, our giftedness even. But that, Father, that we would not violate the first cardinal rule in evangelism, which is to open our mouth and speak to people about you. 
with a clean life. So Father, for those here that they would start getting things together in their life, but not wait until it's all together before they start evangelizing. This woman didn't. I don't know what she did with that man she was with. All I know is she went back and right then people were coming. So she started right then. And so the clean up probably took time afterwards. So for us, Father, let it be with us. I think of that person that this week will come into our path that you prescribed or permitted. And now, Father, we are given the prompting to do something to engage them for the gospel. Help us to do that. Thank you for the example. Thank you for helping us. Thank you for not leaving us alone there. That you'll never leave us in these settings or ever for anything. Thank you for that. I pray for our brethren right here. Those that are here, those will be back next week. That we will continue, Father, to be a church that teaches deep teaching, but never forgets the mind, the heart of those that are so young and so new and often so lost. In your name we pray. Amen. This is Joe Pons, and I want to thank you for listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Clarity Christian College. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It's the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. That's makeitclear.org. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please email us at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. That's tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear.